Welcome to the Gods of Tomorrow podcast, where we discuss religious deconstruction, secular humanism, political activism, and epistemology. Together, we explore how to solve human problems with human solutions. We deconstruct, we activate, and then most importantly, we live our fucking lives. I am your host, Josh Ra, and you are the gods of tomorrow. All right, all right, all right. Let's uh, let's do this shit. Welcome back, everybody, to Gods of Tomorrow. This is Josh Ra. You can call me Josh, and this is episode fourteen. We're back. It has been a couple of weeks. I've been on my own sabbatical, I guess you could call it, working out, mowing the lawn, doing dad things, avoiding the controversy and uh, angry Christians on TikTok. Uh, but for the most part, I've been staying busy. I'm excited to come back again today with another guest. You guys probably will recognize him, Jerry Yanis. He has uh, his own channel on TikTok that has been uh, growing and getting quite a bit of attention. Jerry, it's very exciting to have you here. How's it going, man? It's going great. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Uh, this is only the second time I've done a podcast, so I'm still fairly new to all of this. <laughs> I'm very thankful that uh, you reached out to me. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing my my journey. I'm excited to hear about it. There's very few people that I know that have been in a charismatic church. And in my mind, I always think of charismatic churches and just like the the structure and how loud it is and the music and, you know, the healing. And, and I'm not sure if yours did speaking in tongues, but all the mm-hmm. things that go on within that environment. And I'll be honest, in the back of my mind, because I'm from the Midwest, I'm a country boy, I didn't see those things. I'm like, is this god's grace is it god's spirit or is this just human hysteria that's going on within this environment and so i'm, I'm very curious how you got swept into the charismatic movement and how you found your way out yeah so uh, as with most indoctrination it all started from a very young age with me uh, and i realized when you're indoctrinated from an extremely young age things almost become normalized for you and you don't have as many issues with what you're seeing it all becomes part of your life essentially and um, that's what i noticed with me when i was extremely young i was very into artwork i wanted to be an artist i loved disney i wanted to be an animator for disney and that was my big passion and so that was this was all before the religious stuff came into play And that's all I wanted to do. I spent my time drawing. I was known as the artist at school. People would uh, want me to draw illustrations for them all the time. I had teachers hang up my artwork on their own walls in their apartments. And uh, it it made me feel really good about myself because I found something that I enjoyed, that I was passionate about. And then then I was introduced to Christianity. (laughs) And I remember being in Prospect Park, which is a park in Brooklyn over here. And I, one of the members of my mom's church had come up to me and asked me if I had ever been saved before. And I thought to myself, from what? <laughs> Why? I'm, I'm like five years old. <laughs> what am I being saved from? Why didn't I know about this? Why? What's going on here? And they started to preach this quote-unquote gospel to me at the ripe young age of five years old about how I was a sinner and how I needed forgiveness for some apparent reason. It was then that my life kind of shifted in a different direction. I don't know. When going... Oh, I'm sorry. Jerry, I was just thinking, I don't know about you. That's so terrifying to me to think of yeah. children that are so young, their brain is so malleable at that age, and somebody comes up and says, you're a bad person, you're going to burn forever. There's yeah. this guy that died for you. He loves you. You need to love him back. And if you don't, mm-hmm. terrible things are going to happen to you. Because the, the human, I mean, children especially, but people themselves don't have those thoughts independently of somebody not telling them that. 
Yeah, it's all taught. It's all taught. Yeah, you're not you're not born thinking this way or, or believing this way. It's like it it has to be indoctrinated into you. And so uh, that was kind of the shift, the big shift in my life. I, and going into high school, initially I wasn't interested in church, and then going into high school, I became really invested in my own personal faith, and I took it super seriously. Uh, to the point where I was wearing the t-shirts. I was, uh, instead of being the artist in school, I was known as the good Christian kid in school. I had a new title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's where it began. I I felt, or at least I thought I felt, this great calling on my life from God to go into ministry because I wanted other people to experience what I had experienced at such a young age. Little did I know that was all I I really knew. So I couldn't compare it to anything else. I couldn't really compare it to, to adulthood or life outside of Christianity. But I ended up giving up on my, my dreams, my passions, that those goals of becoming an artist, I gave all of that up and went dive headfirst (laughs) into ministry and decided to attend a Christian college. I attended Nyack College in upstate New York of Rockland County. And I, I was a Bible major. So I studied theology as a minor, but I was primarily a Bible major at that point. And growing up in the charismatic church, it's, it's really interesting because you're kind of in this bubble I'm sure other people can relate to this because everyone has their own little religious bubble when they're in inside of it. But uh, within the bubble of the charismatic church, it's interesting because you, you see all of these other denominations and other sects within Christianity as not the truest form or the realist version of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of built within me this, superiority complex is this kind of ego of oh well i'm doing things the right way and i'm filled with the holy spirit and these people are not because they're not having these similar types of experiences i am they're not speaking in tongues they don't believe in speaking in tongues they don't believe in that miracles can happen today and i do i've seen the lord work in my life and i've seen all of these things happen therefore i'm practicing the true the truest version of Christianity. And from what I understand, there's several verses that the charismatic church uses to kind of really push those fundamental ideas mm-hmm. that separate them from other sects within Christianity and even Pentecostals. They, they draw a line between mm-hmm. themselves and Pentecostals as well. Yes. Yeah. It It's so weird because we, we held so many similar beliefs as the Pentecostal church, but then we also demonize them as well. It's, it's weird how that works because you, you could have all these similarities, but then you'll pinpoint one thing and say, oh, that's not good. So we're going to reject you for that. And uh, in my church, speaking in tongues was a prominent thing. It happened all the time. People were slain in the spirit, falling down when being prayed for. Casting out demons was something that happened often. Uh, we would see people writhing and making all these weird noises, screaming, and uh, people even dancing in the spirit. And at, at one point, there was a period of my religious journey where I even got into something called getting high on the Holy Ghost. Hmm. And it, it was almost like this spiritual high that we would experience where instead of getting high on drugs, it would be the Holy Spirit. But we'd act high. It, it was so, so out there, so bonkers. But again, this was so normalized for me that I didn't even think to question it can, can because I, I was so used to it. Can I go back a little bit and, and just, I mm-hmm. guess, try to find some, I don't know if you can articulate this. And when you first saw this or were kind of introduced to this, it sounds like it was your mom's church primarily that you kind of mm-hmm. came into this charismatic church setting. Do you remember the first time that you saw individuals speaking in tongues or saw a miracle that was completed or saw people getting high in the spirit or being slain in the spirit. 
and just your response in that moment or did you feel like you're being coached to respond or behave in a similar manner as them? I know I'm throwing a lot of questions at you to break down. But no, you're good. It, it, it's very curious to me because I was raised in churches where no one spoke in tongues. There was no such thing. as I mean, it was Midwestern Baptist churches, Christian churches, Methodist churches, where you sit in your pew and you read out of your book. And <laughs> there, there's no <laughs> extravagance to that. Yeah. Uh, when I, I first had witnessed all of these things happening in my mom's church, I thought was insane. <laughs> I looked at it and thought, what are these people doing? And how how could they be okay with something like this? How could they be okay with looking this strange and weird? And what's even the purpose of all of this? It, it seems like complete chaos. And I thought God was a God of order. So what's going on here? And the more I sat in church and listened to the sermons and heard the pastor preach, he would use the Bible and the scriptures to reaffirm these experiences and reassure everyone in the congregation that this was something good. So if you weren't having was, these experiences, you weren't in God's Holy Spirit or you weren't saved. Yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that we weren't saved. It was that we weren't reaching our full potential. Gotcha. So uh, the way we viewed everyone else was, oh, if you've accepted Jesus into your heart and received you know, his sacrifice on your behalf, then you are saved. But there's a whole other level of God's presence that you're missing if you don't have these experiences and if you don't receive the full filling of the Holy Spirit and they used the book of Acts as an example that all these people, they had believed in Jesus, but then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and ended up speaking in, in different languages. So it was all it was all tied back to the scriptures somehow. But then again, all Christians do that. They use the Bible and interpret it in a way that fits their own personal dogma. Mm-hmm. And no matter what it is, it, it, it two Christians could interpret the same passage a different way, but they'll see it their way and use it to reaffirm their own beliefs and say the other person is wrong, but they're using the same scripture. And so I, that's what happened. I, I went to church almost three times every single week, super committed, very dedicated to my faith. And I wanted to grow closer to God. I wanted to be filled with it, with his presence. And it, it was kind of a way of making myself, feel better about myself because I had all these insecurities and all these issues. I dealt with a lot of anxiety and, and still do to this day, but it's a, it it was something I used to fill that hole. And part of that's part of how I got sucked in. So, so heavy into this whole thing was just, they, they really, they, they prey on, your insecurities and mm. your need for something. And so the more I went to church, the more I got involved, I was on board, completely on board without question. Didn't even bother to, to think about what, what was happening. I just accepted it as something from God. Do you get the argument thrown at you that you're now experiencing anxiety or experiencing some of those issues at the level that you are today because you're no longer in church because now that you're separated it's an issue people try they certainly they certainly try to use that as as a way of making me feel bad about leaving mm-hmm. and that's often what happens in toxic relationships that they'll make you feel terrible for wanting to leave make it seem like it's your fault that you did something wrong. And looking back at it now, it's, it's wild. I, yeah, sure. I still deal with anxiety. I still deal with things like depression and mental health issues, uh, but on a totally different level than I did back then. Mm-hmm. It was, I had so much more on my shoulders. I, I felt like I needed to not only live up to my own standards, but live up to God's standards, which were nearly untouchable. <laughs> I couldn't reach those standards. It's so 
it, it's so interesting to me. Yeah. I was reading a, a testimonial earlier today of this individual who was talking about her sinus issues that she had and how she regularly went to her church, which was a charismatic church, to have this healed. And over 10, 12 years, it never got healed. And she finally went to a doctor and found that she had like a split serum or something and just got surgery oh, wow. and had it fixed and then it was fixed. But she kept, <laughs> but she kept going to the church with the preachers yelling at her that, you know, God's not in here and you guys don't have God in your church and the Holy Spirit isn't as powerful here and I'm going to cure you. And they would wow. shout the magic words and put their hands on her and say, now the healing will begin and this will be cured. And she just believed that her faith wasn't strong enough or she wasn't devout enough or something for why it was not fully healing in the way that it should. And I'm just, is this something that you dealt with too during that time where you were still dealing with some of these mental health things that all humans deal with to some degree? Mm -hmm. um, and anytime you would have maybe an episode or, or a rough weekend, was there that self-doubt that maybe I'm just not pouring myself into God enough? Absolutely. There was always a feeling of never being enough for God, never uh, praying enough, fasting enough, uh, spending enough time in his presence, uh, doing all of these things. It, it, what's, <laughs> what's so funny about that is that it, just the contradiction in that alone of my church constantly preaching the gospel of grace. That's what they were calling. It. Oh, it's not, it's not a, what, about what we can do. It's about what Jesus has already done for us. And it's not nothing we can do to grow closer to God, but it's all with, with grace and not about our works. But then anytime we wouldn't experience a healing or we wouldn't see this outcome happen in our lives, it was always, you have to have more faith. Mm -hmm. You have to have more faith. And then faith becomes works in a sense. And it's almost the same thing. Like we're judging the Pentecostals for having such a works-based faith and and being so uh, so critical about different things, about the way you dress, about the way you carry yourself, about wearing jewelry and makeup and all of these other things. We're, we're so quick to judge them for that. But then we're over here wanting to constantly fast and pray and do all these things because we believe that it'll get us closer to God somehow. And it's the exact same thing. And it, there was so much guilt placed upon me for that. And it's wild because looking back at it now, I lost so many friends in college because of this very thing. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my biggest regrets to this day. I don't know what, what friends I could have had down the line or could have kept, but I had a really close friend in college who, who had a type, was it type one diabetes? And and they needed to, to have insulin on them at all times. And it was terrible, but I managed to make them feel worse about it. Because I said, if you had enough faith, then God should be able to heal you of this. And if clearly God wants everybody to be healthy and happy and whole, then you're obviously doing something wrong and you're not having enough faith. And... Yeah, I lost many friends <laughs> because of my my mindset. It was it's pretty awful. Well, don't beat your, yourself up too yeah. much about that. We always do the best with what we know and what we have. And I too yeah. lost a lot of friends during college because I was pretty fanatical <laughs> and devout <laughs> too in my own way, and uh, stood on a lot of pedestals and had a lot of arguments that weren't worth having with individuals, and I pushed them away as a result of that. Um, I, I definitely want to get into your story of, of going into uh, school and learning and some of the truths that you've found since then. But before we do, I, I am curious for a couple of things on how you look back at the miracles that you've seen occur within that church and your own engagement in speaking of tongues. Can you give us some insight on how you look at that now and what that was and what you were actually seeing or what you were experiencing? Because I'm sure you've explored this. Like, I can't just throw yes. out the experience. I definitely was doing these things, but what was it? Um, to this day, I still have some questions about it. Uh, looking back at it now, I don't see it as evidence for God, obviously. Uh, I am still an atheist, but uh, when I had 
my first experience with speaking in tongues, it was very much something that was forced upon me. And uh, my pastor had tried praying for me a few times. It was either two or three times he tried praying for me to start speaking in tongues and nothing would happen. Uh, I was just nervous and I was freaked out and I wasn't sure if this was something that I wanted to happen or not. And so I was very much opposed to it, hesitant. And then eventually he just told me to open my mouth and start making sounds. And that's what ended up happening. I just followed his orders. I opened my mouth and started making random sounds and I was convinced that this was God. And it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's that was my first experience speaking in tongues. And it, there would be times when people would ask me if I could do it on command and I would respond, yeah, sure, I'll do it right now. There are many times I just open my mouth and start making random noises and again, convinced that it was the Holy Spirit. It was something supernatural when it was literally just me making random. I, I will say yeah. <laughs> you're not the first person to tell me this that is talking yeah. <laughs> about speaking in tongues. I've had dozens and dozens of conversations with folks that have told me about speaking in tongues and almost verbatim, all of them said the same thing. The, the pastor preacher came forward and said, just open your mouth and start making sounds. And they would start doing that and they would convince him that it was God and they could do it on command. But once they've stepped on the other side of that fence, and they're not in church anymore. They say, yeah, I was just babbling weird noises so that I would fit in. Yeah. And I find myself doing that a lot and not just with speaking tongues. It was with many other things in the church. It was whether I would see visions or prophesy over people. I would try and pray over people and I'd say, oh, well, I'm not a prophet. I can't prophesy over people. And then I'd have Christians tell me, well, just say whatever comes to your mind because it's clearly God talking to you. And I said whatever was on my mind and they'd say, praise God, this is exactly what I needed. Well, looking back at it now, that's all I was doing. I was just saying what was on my mind and there's no evidence of it anything being supernatural or coming from a god or it was all inward it was all me mm -hmm. following what i was taught to believe and doing things that everybody else was doing and not to say that that made it any less uh, genuine from my perspective at the time because people will use that and say well that clearly means you weren't a, a real christian if you were faking it or if you were just doing it because you felt like you had to, but I was, I was convinced this was from God. I was completely genuine about it. I, I had faith and I wanted to grow closer to God and I thought this was the way to do it. Mm -hmm. And in, in the case of miracles, similar thing, I'd see, I'd see people praying for legs, limbs to grow out. And even now we had this whole crazy phenomenon where people would stretch out their legs and you'd see it one leg move forward a little bit and oh it's a miracle no, no. <laughs> it's not a miracle it's just <laughs> so it's yeah it's very interesting what i had experienced we would have these these things called prayer rooms and this was something that bethel church had actually come up with the healing rooms a supernatural Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry in, in Redding, California. My pastor was kind of close with Bill Johnson and the leaders of that church, and they were also part of the charismatic movement. So uh, we had our own version of healing rooms where people would show up and we would pray for them, and we would claim to see all of these miracles happening, people getting healed. No evidence whatsoever, obviously, that people were getting healed of anything but no doctor certifications or you know anything of that nature it was all claims mm -hmm. and just expressing what people had felt or had apparently seen and this was supposed to be the great revival that was coming to the world was through this movement so i believe that i was part of this grand plan from God to usher in these end times and 
and quicken the returning of, of Jesus, the second coming of Christ, by bringing his kingdom on this earth now. And so that, that was the big mindset that I had. I, Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. What a couple of things. One, it's interesting that I do see this a lot out of certain Christian movements where it's like we need to get Jesus to come back for the second coming so we can all die and go live in heaven and other people can burn in hell. That's a very <laughs> weird concept. It's like we've got to make yeah. this happen now within our lifetime, which also seems to reflect some of the teachings that Paul was pushing out there. Um, but the other piece of it is, is that I think there's somewhere there's hundreds of thousands of charismatic congregation individuals that follow this movement and so it, it leads one to wonder whether or not they believe in the claims that are being presented to them about the healing and miracles and being filled with the holy spirit and speaking in tongues and how does that reflect on i'm using quotations for those of you that don't know but early um witnesses to christ and his resurrection and believing similar things about miracles or claims that are being made that may not have any evidential or truth behind them, but people carry on those stories and tell them as though they are factual. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's curious. Like, yeah, what absolutely. is there? To, what is it about the human condition that allows us to do that <laughs> and pulls people into a fold that has no substance to it? I I, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I knew. I, otherwise, I wouldn't. I probably could have avoided all of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I could have seen it coming a mile away, looked mm-hmm. at all the red flags, and said, "Nope, not going there." <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I like I said, I was sucked into it. Uh, part of it was indoctrination. Part of it was my own feelings of insecurity, and part of it was being around a group of people who all thought and believed the exact same way, and. There's a reason why many churches and Christians forbid you from asking questions and from associating with people outside the faith because they don't want you to ask questions. They don't want you to see things from an outside perspective. They want everybody to be the same. But Jerry broke away because you went to Bible school. Somehow. (laughs) And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what did you what did you learn what was the 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 fork in the road i uh, at first when i had started bible school it was a reality check for me because i had i had started coming into contact with christians who didn't think or act like me at all and that's kind of where it began i i was starting to branch out of my own bubble i was starting to see behind the curtain <laughs> so to speak and, uh, yeah, I was having a lot of trouble. My, my superiority complex was not having a good time. I was struggling with my own beliefs. I, I, I thought, why is this so difficult for Christians to accept? Uh, I've been in this my entire life, and these other Christians, they seem to be so opposed to what the things that I'm saying. And the things that my church is teaching. And there was a, at one point when my, my own pastor visited the school to do a, uh, a sermon at one of the meetings at my school, one of the chapel meetings. And he even told me after it, he said, there's so much pushback here. There's so much opposition with what we're teaching. Like, yeah, I don't get it. Cause I thought everyone was supposed to see the gospel the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's really where it began. And then I started taking courses in Greek and Hebrew. And that really messed me up bad. <laughs> because I had I had professors who studied this for decades and knew their stuff, who knew the the traditions and they knew the, the ancient cultures and they could read the the old languages and how the Bible was meant to be written at the time and they would say things like there is no perfect translation and i thought to myself what this is not what i what i've been taught i, I was taught the bible is the inerrant inspired word of god and had no flaws at all 
So here I have, I'm in a class sitting down with a bunch of other Christians around me, listening to another Christian speak to me who knew more about the Bible, more about the scriptures and about the history and about the, the culture than I did, telling me that the Bible is imperfect. And that was a shock. That was when things started really falling apart for me. Because I started noticing all the discrepancies, started noticing the contradictions, I started noticing um, all of the changes, the very obvious changes <laughs> throughout history that men have made mm -hmm. intentionally at times. And that's that was kind of the beginning of my deconstruction journey. It was that probably that that first course in in Greek that started this whole this whole thing for me propelled me onto this path <laughs> it's interesting to me how many individuals that i talked to and they're for many of them their moment of breaking away <laughs> from their faith was going and studying the bible and going yeah. to college and learning about it you almost would think that churches would be out to shut down those programs <laughs> because it's leading so many people away from their congregations yeah and a lot of christians they they would immediately shut it down as being of the devil. And they'll say, well, this person is not doing the Lord's work because they're going against the scriptures. They're going against God's word. But meanwhile, <laughs> this is a person who also believes and who is saying that there's something wrong here and we have to acknowledge this. We have to address it or else we're just going to be believing in things blindly. But so many people are comfortable in their blindness. Mm. They just come, they're comfortable because they spent their entire lives that way, as I did. And they would much rather, and this is interesting because I've read, obviously I've read The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, and he mentions many, many believers thinking this way. If they had the evidence right in their face that there were contradictions or mistakes in the Bible, they would still choose to believe that the Bible was perfect, no matter what. And it's almost this willful ignorance that comes into play. And I just couldn't hold on to that any longer. Going to all of these courses, these Bible courses, studying what's actually in there and what it says about all the, the genocide and the horrible things that this God has apparently done. I couldn't accept that anymore. I just couldn't. And the... The next step for me was was the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement, which is uh, kind of set me on the next step of that. Can you explain that a little bit? Sorry, it's like so, thundering and raining like crazy here right now. I don't know if that's coming through the mic, so I apologize. No, you could. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it came from. It just blew in. God's angry. We're having this conversation. Yeah, but... it's got to be supernatural, right? <laughs> God's mad at us <laughs> for mocking him. <laughs> uh, yeah, th so the theory of penal substitutionary atonement, it was something my church preached very heavily. And it's, it's the idea that this God needed a blood sacrifice in order to forgive the sins of humanity. Now, as according to the Bible verse, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so in order for God to purify the world and to forgive our sin, he needed a death. And I started thinking about it and I read Rob Bell's book <laughs> and it, you know, to the dismay of my pastor and many other people, I, st I started actually asking questions and reading things like Rob Bell, <laughs> but I read about it and I thought about it and I started asking myself, why is this all powerful, all knowing God who knows the in and ins and outs of everything, who knows my life, who knows everything about me and everything that I'm going to do. Why would this God require blood in order to forgive me? And then in turn, require me to forgive other people without any repercussions. 
without any consequences at all. It's like, it's the epitome of do as I say, not as I do. And I thought, that's ridiculous. That's so absurd for for someone to require bloodshed in order to forgive when I can just forgive people without bloodshed at all. And I'm just a mere human. <laughs> I'm just a human being. And if I, if I could do this, you're saying this all-powerful God can't do the same? Does that make me better than God? Does that mean, make me more caring and loving than this God? Why, why is this God worth worshiping at all? And so the more I thought about it, the more I started falling further and further away, deeper down the rabbit hole and <laughs> asking more questions, challenging my faith even more. And the Christians weren't happy about that. Did you ever try they going wouldn't. to like another church or another pastor to get the questions answered and just thought, maybe I'm in the wrong church. Maybe another denomination has this correct. Yeah, I tried at my school. I I tried having a discourse on it. We had these things called, there, there weren't life groups necessarily, but we had these smaller clubs in my school that were run by the students and they all had different topics and they had discussions and debates and discourses and things like that. And I wanted to lead a discussion slash debate on atonement theory because this was something that I was getting more into and I wanted to discuss it with people from other denominations and see if this was something that they believed as well or if they were having questions or issues with it too. And the response that I got was, uh, we're not going to allow this. And this is from, from the, the faculty, from the, the heads of the department. We're not going to allow this because our school has a very specific doctrine on atonement theory. And if we allow discussion on this, if we allow th this to be a debate, then we're going against our core values as a school. And my, my school in particular was with Alliance Theological Seminary. It was called a ATS and the, the Christian Missionary Alliance. And so they, they were not happy that I was even bringing up this idea and questioning the atonement. That's <laughs> what I like about you, Jerry. You're a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> And I and I'm curious because I know for me I I dive into this a little bit myself in trying to understand the blood sacrifice and as you kind of follow the trail of blood into the Old Testament you see that Judaism also had a lot to do with sacrifices for atonement from animals even in the very beginning it seemed as though there was sacrifice that was made um, with Adam and Eve and so the entire Abrahamic belief system kind of arose through this blood sacrifice theology that just evolved over thousands of years to become what it was with Jesus and why that kind of held so strongly in that time as well as this blood sacrifice. Is that kind of the path that you went as well? And you're like, this is just a progression of an understanding of a concept and not really something that is held rigorously in, you know, some ancient truth. Yeah. Once I started looking at it that way and seeing it as a natural progression, uh, historically, it started to make more sense to me rather than what I was taught, which was everything in the Bible was pointing toward Jesus. And that was what my church taught. It was like, no matter if it was from Genesis all the way throughout to Revelation, everything was pointing to Jesus and that sacrifice. When most of it has, has nothing, nothing to, to do with Jesus. Jesus. yeah, And <laughs> it was never even meant to be that way because the Bible wasn't written to be one cohesive storyline. It was written as multiple different documents over the course of history from many different people. And yeah, they were just kind of compiled together over time through various methods. But it, once I, that was another thing that I learned in school as well about how the Bible was compiled. And that was yet another thing that kind of helped me deconstruct. But once I began seeing it as a natural progression and looking at it, through their eyes and seeing it as they saw it back then, it began to make more sense to me. And it's like, why are we still holding on to this now? <laughs> I 
after the year 2000. Why are we still holding on to this idea of blood sacrifice? Yeah. And thinking that it's uh it's somehow an atonement for for our sins. Something that we had no control over because God made us all this way, apparently. Which I think a lot of it goes back to Richard Dawkins' book, uh, which you're talking about, The God Delusion, is that he talks about these memes that kind of are pushed into humanity of, you know, I'm going to survive my own death, or I'm going to be rewarded with 72 virgins when I die. The poor poor virgins, but at least I'm going to be rewarded. Um, Or, you know, I I have this... uh, virtue of believing in a God just somehow held at a higher standard in our society than not believing in a God. Or I have this virtue of faith without proof or without evidence, which are, for some reason we perceive that in our society as holding a, a higher status than those that need evidence in order to believe. And so we've had like yes. these underlying threads be woven into humanity and into our culture saying, these are the things that we value and we hold those memes to allow us mm-hmm. to kind of cling on to ancient beliefs that no longer suit us. Yeah, and it's extremely difficult to break out of that, too, because if you hold on to something for so long, then it becomes all you know, and it's hard to see it from the other side and look at it a different way. But that's what I I had to do. I had to force myself to do that. And it was extremely difficult because nobody was on my side. I was completely alone in this. I didn't have family. I didn't have friends. I didn't have classmates, coworkers, nobody who was willing to support me and back me up in what I was doing, which was simply questioning Mm -hmm. this one thing, this one doctrine that I learned wasn't even initially uh, widely held in the church. I mean, even the, the, the Eastern Orthodox church considered it heresy at one point. And so, um, yeah, this is really where it all began for me. And once I started thinking, well, if I'm having issues with this core foundation, the su- supposed foundation of Christianity, then what else have I been taught in church that was based on this doctrine that I'm believing, which could be utterly wrong, mm-hmm. completely lied to about these things? And everything started unraveling and falling apart for me. And now here you are on the other side and you've grown an impressive platform so far on TikTok. And most of what you do on there is in response to Christians around some of these fundamental ideological concepts that just don't register. They don't really work. And they're the same types of uh, thought loops that you've had to work yourself out of and make sense of. Is there something particular that you're trying to, I guess, open people's eyes to or some sort of influence that you're trying to make that's hopefully will impact society at large. Is there something that you're trying to achieve in doing that? Or is it just uh, a a defense of your own process and your own path and trying to get where you are at now? For me, it's really about stopping the cycle of manipulation uh, because I, that's something that has really affected me throughout my life. And looking back at it now, I can see certain elements of my life that, are still being affected by what I experienced back then. And I'm still trying to break out of it, still trying to unlearn all of those things. And there are days when I still sit in my room and I just think about all the nasty things that was said to, were said to me when I was leaving the church by people that I, I thought were supportive of me we're my own family we considered each other family i was at my church for over 10 years and these same people said the nastiest things about me after i left and preached entire sermons about how it was wrong and and said i was being influenced by the devil and calling me all these nasty things and that's that's really what it comes down to for me. It's making sure that people understand that they're not alone in their journey because I felt alone at that point and I would never wish for that on anybody. Mm-hmm. And just 
letting them know people who are going through similar situations that as I did, letting them know that there is someone and uh, actually a lot of people who are going through the same thing, but it's become more vocal. It's become uh, because of these platforms and social media, it's in the public eye now, which is a great thing. And that's, that's what I hope to accomplish is just to help people escape the manipulation because that's not, that's not okay. People need to be held accountable for that. I absolutely love that. And I wish there was more testimonies like that that are put out there about the manipulation and the path that people are put on. Because when I think of what you've shared here is that you were a kid with big dreams, with things that you wanted to do with your life, and you got swept into a manipulative situation that took you down a path where you then discarded your dreams and then dedicated your life to a mission and a purpose that wasn't yours naturally. And now you're picking up the pieces. Maybe you're going into art. I hope that if that's what you still want to do. You're pursuing that, but, but you're essentially having to pick up the pieces and find your passion again and kind of discard all the stuff that you were told that you were supposed to be living for. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I, I still struggle with motivation to pick up that pen and start drawing because it's hard. It, it, it still hurts. It still hurts because I, I love it so much and I still have a passion for that. And I just want to, I want to get into it more and I want to be more confident in my talent and my abilities. And there are times I still have that, that lurking in the background of, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. It, it sucks, but I'm, I'm still trying. I'm, I'm pushing through every day and I'm hoping that other people are doing the same. And that's, that's what I want to happen. I, I saw this uh, image <clears throat> once of this adult who had all these scars all over their body and it kind of zooms out and the scars like come and take shape of all these things that were said to them all the way throughout their life as children and into adolescence that essentially stuck on the person that they were unable to get rid of. And so when you're talking about your mission being and helping in the cycle of manipulation and really save young people from that, that's what I think of is that you're preventing people from being indefinitely scarred by the terrible things that people say to them that completely takes them off the trajectory for what their life should be. Yeah. So I love that. <laughs> I love that image. <laughs> it, it's a difficult thing to do, but I, I am glad that you're out here speaking on this. Um, I'm looking forward to having seen more people come out and talk about it. And I agree. I think that social media has helped put it into the public eye. Uh, I know that you and I are both in the United States. So from a political standpoint, there's still a lot of challenges to be overcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I saw a quote earlier where somebody had, had said uh, that there's a lot of very powerful people out there that actually don't believe in Jesus and don't believe in God. They put on the preface because they're not going to give up the money that it's bringing into them. And I think that's probably mm -hmm. more true than not, especially in the realm of some of the political powers that we see and how that influences our nation, because there is a certain piece in terms of our human nature, our human condition, and how that information is infiltrated into us at a young age, and it keeps us loyal and yep. docile. <laughs> yeah, to, to continue yeah. to be functioning citizens and put money in their pocket. Mm -hmm. Because when you're taught that faith is all that matters, and that it matters more than facts, and that's that leaves the door wide open for you to be easily manipulated. Mm -hmm. And the word of faith movement was exactly that. We placed an emphasis on faith as the most important thing in our lives. And um, I, I remember specifically one thing that my pastor had said on that last phone call that we had before I left the church. And I had made a Facebook post about how him preaching penal substitutionary atonement theory didn't sit right with me and that it didn't feel right. He gave me an angry phone call and said, you had no right to do this without my permission, without asking me. And I said, 
what's wrong with me sharing my opinions and my feelings and my thoughts on my own personal Facebook page. And he said, when you took the position of youth leader at this church, you gave up that right. And I still remember that to this day, that he said that, that I gave up my right to uh, speak freely. And that is what I will always remember as motivation for what I do. That is such a powerful, powerful image to, to have that. And for me, it reflects a lot of things that I see even in society now. We know that recently Roe v. Mm -hmm. Wade was overturned. You spoke yep. very passionately against that. And I saw similar messages floating around in Christian circles that people choosing to live in the United States means that they give up their free will because it's a Christian nation and that they don't get to have the free will to speak out and act in a way that displeases their version of God and their Christian mythos. And for me, that yeah. that echoes what you're being told. It's like, you don't get free will at the moment that you choose to live underneath the regime of our idea of Christianity. But then free will is always the excuse that mm -hmm. Christians give for all the bad things that happen, right? <laughs> Constant contradictions. <laughs> well, it has been wonderful having you on, Jerry. I'm sure that we can probably dive into more topics, but I will let you go. I won't take your entire night away. Uh, let folks know where they can find you, how they can connect with you, or if they have other questions, how can they follow up? Yeah, sure. Um, you can reach me at my TikTok account and at Jerry Yanis, just my name, and then uh, I don't have my DMs open on TikTok, except for people that I'm mutuals with. So if you do need to reach out to me, then you can follow me on Instagram with the same username at Jerry Ennis. And I do see my DMs there from other people. So that's uh, that might be a good opportunity if anybody has any sort of questions, if you want to know more about my journey and my experience and, and where I am today. All right. Thank you so much, Jerry. And thank everybody else for listening in for another episode of Gods of Tomorrow. Appreciate you all being here. Now, uh, get the hell out of here. Go live your own life. Go fight manipulation. Be the best versions of yourselves. And as we always say, do what the fuck you will. Yeah.